0: Okay, we're going through, uh, we're living together through unprecedented times, times which are tremendously difficult. There's a lot of people who are, who are unfortunately very, very ill. Um, There's people who are going through a lot of fear. They don't know if they're going to be hit by it, uh, when they might be hit by it, how badly they're going to be hit by it. And a lot of people are asking the question about why, why is this happening? Why is Rebenshaim doing this to us? Now, someone asked me why I think, why. I told them, well, I'm in Mashkiach and Yeshiva, and for Mashkiach and Yeshiva, this is heyday, because we just pick whatever our hot topic ha- happens to be that day, whatever we feel strongly about, and we're going to blame it all on that, and this is exactly why it's happening. But obviously, that's not going to go down so well. We've got to try and work out why. Now, the problem is that I have no idea why. I don't know why. I don't understand why. I don't think this is something that I can even attempt to work out. But all we can try and do, even if we can't read what lies behind the scenes, why why is Rabbi Hashem doing it on a more deep level? What we can do is just read what it is that Rabbi Hashem is doing. We can look at what's happening and read the message Rabbi Hashem is giving us directly. And that message is a message that is so clear. He's just telling us, look here, I'm in control. This is something, this is my world. This world is going to run the way I want it to run. It's going to, things are going to work out the way I want them to work out. I can bring the whole world to a grinding halt from one minute to to the next. I can just make something happen and no, no one's going to understand why and what. But I think even more specifically, more specifically, we can see what the relationship is doing to us. Besides showing us that he's in control, I think there's something else that he's doing as well that he's showing us that this Nisoyan is a very individual Nisoyan. This is an experience that each one of us is going through in a different way. If we take even just the the virus itself, the way it affects people, has such a broad range. There's people out there who get it and they don't even know that they have it. And then there's people who get it and all they've got is a little bit of a, a loss of smell or a loss of, of um, taste. And then there's other people who just get a little bit of temperature and they're in bed for a week. And then there's other people who get much, much iller. Just in the in the past hour, two of the Bachrim in called me up to tell me that their fathers have just been taken to hospital. And they shall be to a shalemu So there's people who are going through such different experiences. Because of this, people have been stuck at home and locked up inside their houses. Now, being locked up inside your house is also a very, very different experience for a lot of different people. Some people turn around at the end of Shabbos, and they say they had a beautiful Shabbos. They were all together. There was no pressure. There was no rushing out for davening. There was no rushing out for your Chavrusas. There was no rushing out for a Kiddush, for a And they enjoyed it, and it was an amazing experience. And then there's other people who are stuck in their own houses, and that's a, a difficult experience and that gives them so much which they have to overcome, which they have to be able to to handle in the way that the brain shame wants them to handle. So here we have an essayon which is personalized. It's personalized for every person. It's something which the brain shame has taken and given one club. He's given one disease. He's made one thing happen and he's made it affect every person in a different way. We say in the Hagada, the Rosh comes along and he says, "Ma avodah azaysochem," and we answer him back and we say, Bavoze osa Hashem li b'tzaisim im and we tell him that "Ilu haoyah Hashem lo oyah niga." We tell him if you would have been there, you wouldn't have been taken out. And I saw an idea from Reb Zadik Akroyan. He says the Apostle pasuk says, "Ilu bavozeh osa Hashem li b'tzaisim im Eitzreim." Most times that we talk about Yetziah S'trayim, you talk about Yetziah S'trayim in Loshen Rabbim. You talk about Yetziah S'trayim as being done for the whole of Ka Yisrael. We talk about Bechazek Yod, Ho Itziyano Hashem Aleikeinu Mi Avodim. The Rabbayin Shehem took us out from Mi Metzrayim Mi Who did he take out? He took us out. He took the whole of Ka Yisrael out. Ani Hashem Aleikeichem, Hashem Itzeisichem Mi Hashem is our God who took us out of Eretz Etsrayim. And then we have a pasuk which says, It's a Posuk which says, Hashem took me out of Mitzrayim. And Reb Klein says, because when Hashem took Klay Yisrael out of Mitzrayim, He didn't take the whole of Klay Yisrael out and that was it. He took every single person out of Mitzrayim separately. Every person was taken out of Mitzrayim in the way that he was supposed to be taken out of Mitzrayim. Every person was taken out of Mitzrayim in the way that he had to experience it. It affected him in the way the Rebbein Shem personally, privately wanted it to affect him. Because we know that the Rabbi Shem doesn't look after us with hashkachal HaKlolis. He doesn't look after us in a general way. He's looking after every single one of us. And he's looking after every single one of us personally and privately. And, and bringing a life to us the way the Rabbi Shem wants us to experience it. So maybe that's something, an extra chizuk in our emunah that we can see from the experiences that we're going through, specifically with this in this present situation, what I'd like to work through with you over the next few minutes. Is a a question a question on filler? We're all spending more time on filler. We're spending more time thinking about our filler. And there's a question that runs through davening and seems to keep coming up again and again. The question is: When we talk to the Rebbeinu when we talk to him, we have we say a brocha, we daven, and we're talking to Hashem. Do we talk to Hashem in second person, or do we talk to Hashem in third person? That means if we're talking to a friend and we say, how are you, where are you going, and things like that, that's all second person. Now, if you talk to someone more choshev, someone who's in a, in a different category to ourselves, so then we'll say if we're talking to a rov. So we might say, how is the rov? Would the rov like a lift? Or ask a question and talk to him in third person. Now, again, let's just, before we continue, make this very clear. Obviously, we never talk to anybody else besides Hashem. We're talking directly to Hashem. The question is, when we talk to Hashem, do we talk to him in second person or do we talk to him in third person? Do we say to Hashem, can you give me something? Can you help me or give him a a praise and say you? Or do we talk to Hashem in third person and say, him, can he give me, can he help me? That's the question that we're going to try and research a little bit and try and see whether we do second person, third person, when we talk in second person, when we talk in third person. And I think if we can understand this clearly enough, then we should be able to get a a tremendous chizuk in understanding the closeness that the Rabbi Hashem allows us to have with him. And how really, really, that's the biggest nest, the biggest miracle that Rashim's ever done on this world, is that he allows us to speak to him, and he allows us to him. So let's see if we can look into this a little bit. Take a typical bracha, we start off, Baruch Atah Hashem. Blessed, however you want to translate the word, Baruch Atah Hashem. Are you Hashem? And we're clearly talking in second person before we start. But then let's continue a bracha, for example, and that would mean that everything has been done with his, through his word, and we've slipped into third person. If we take a bracha like, and again, second person, and you'll say, he has sanctified us with his mitzvahs. Again, we've slipped into third person. If we take Shemineser, so we start off with Shemineser, Baruch to Hashem, and we go through the whole first bracha, Zeicher Chastei Ovo maybe Mevi Goyal Ivnei Vnei Hem Lema'an within His name, with love. And clearly that's third person right through. We then continue into the next bracha, and we say, Atu Gibor Lo'ilam Hashem. And we continue with Atu Choynein. We say, Ashiveinu Avinu L'Soyra Se'echo, to your Torah. And again and again we seem to be talking in second person. But then if we look at the close of the brachos, so we've got Micah Nidchei Amoy Yisrael, and again, that's clearly third person. Refei Khile Amoy Yisrael is clearly third person. So is it second person or is it third person? If we look at the... So we start off with Yotze Oyeru Beirei Choshek, which is third person. He who is Yotze the Oyer, he creates the light. Ubayre Choshek, and then later on we'll continue with Avor Raba, Av Tono, VeKerav Tono Malkenu, VeKerav Tono LeShimcha Hagadol. So again, LeShimcha Hagadol is to your name, and that's clearly second person. So we keep going back between third person, second person. We then close off Haboychev Amo Yisro Avor, and we've gone back into third person where well, we go through Birch So in Birch you've got the first bracha. And the first bracha of Birch is all third person. It's Hazan Es HaKol. We say... Avorshimai Hagodoil, ki who kill zong, umofani sakoil, omekem ozon chhobery sov, all of that's clearly third person. In his name, he is the one who gives us our sustenance. He is he He prepares the food for his Beruim, for his creations. And then we go into the second bracha, and it's Noidelecho, and it's Al-She'hen chal and the whole way through the second bracha, it's all second person. And then into the third bracha, and we continue with second person. Yisrael Amecho, Yisrael, and we keep to second person until we get to the fourth bracha. And in the fourth bracha, we sit back into third person, and we say, who... Who hated? Who native? Who yated vlono? Who gam Who gam Who laad? And we sit back into third person. So is a second person is a third person. And one more example. Is if you look in, in Kiddish, in Kiddish we actually change right in the middle of a bracha. We start off and we say, Asher Kiddishonu be mitzvay just like we do with any bracha. And then we continue, ki hu yoyim chilo le and we say, ki vonu vokhar you have chosen us, voy sonu kiddashto mikolo amim, you have sanctified us from all of the other nations, vikshavas kotche chah, ba'ahav rasayin chaltonu, and we seem to again slip into third person. It's a second person, I'm sorry. So we started with a third person and then gone into second person, and then we go, and we seem to go backwards and forwards, and that's what we want to try and understand now, is it, is this something, is, when we talk to Hashem, do we talk second person, do we talk third person, how do we decide when to talk second person, and when to talk third person, why would we keep changing backwards and forwards between second person and third person, and I'd like to try and suggest a, a pshat, it's based on a rush for in Chuvas, in chilekei, and it's based on a rambam, and Trying to develop that and see if we can suggest something which will take us right through all of these questions. I once heard someone ask this question. He asked it specifically on Kiddish and he gave a whole nice piece to try and explain Kiddish And he explained very, very nicely why in Kiddish you change from third person to second person. But when the question is so broad, when the question comes up in so many different places, it's difficult to just give a localized answer in Kiddish, just to explain Kiddish, we're going to have to give an answer which should take us through more or less every single example. Just give a couple of rules which will then explain every single example. I think we've answered about 99% of times that you'll come across second person or third person, this will answer it. There are a couple of difficulties at the end, but we'll try and finish off and then we'll just switch off to the computer and then we'll be able to ask it anyway. So there are a couple which you won't be able to um which I don't know how to answer, but it does answer a good 99% of times. Do we do we talk to Hashem in second person, or do we talk to him in third person? And just again to clarify, there's no way that we ever talk to anybody else about Hashem. We're talking to Hashem, but we're just talking in third person instead of second person. So I'd like to start with a moshul, a moshul I once heard from Rabbi Hudalei Whitler, and we'll try and use this moshul to help us with this specific question. A few years ago, going back, I don't remember how many years ago, a number of years ago, uh, Shul was looking for a new ROV. So the first thing they did was create a committee. The committee get together. They sit down, and they start looking out there. They maybe put, put out some advertisements. They talk to different people. They spread the word. They're looking for a ROV. Can we see if we can find ourselves a new ROV? Okay. One day, the committee is sitting there, and they get a uh, the, the committee get a call from the from the uh, president. Quickly, this is uh, the weirdest thing has happened. Please come round to my house. We need to have an emergency meeting. And the whole committee come rushing in, and they sit down. And the president says, "I've just had an application to the job. I've just had applications come through the door for the job of being a Rov." But the odd thing is that the post, the the stamp, is comes from Vilna comes from a town called Vilna. They go and they open up the application. And inside there's an application for the job of being a rov in a local shul. And it comes from the Vilna The Vilna he's filled out the whole application form. He's put in his CV. He's written all the svarim that he's written and that, where else he's, he's uh, served as a rov. And he says, I want to be the rov in your shul. So they immediately make a, a committee, a small committee, which fly over to uh, Vilna, and they sit down with the Vilna Gon, and they say to him, you know, to, we, we feel very, very touched that you've applied to come thereof in our shul, but we want you to understand what we're looking for. We're not actually looking for someone who's gonna be giving these deep, deep all to the whole day. What we're actually looking for is someone who's going to Give us what we need. That means we need shiurim on Gomorrah. Just a nice share, a nice clear share, which is going to work through the Gomorrah. We might want our rov to give a, a dafayami share. We want our rov to give out a halachas. Now don't give me any complicated, deep chuvas. That's not what we need. We need a rov who's just going to give us the simple, straightforward halacha. And they'd sit down with the Vilna God and say, you understand, you're you're over You're overly qualified for the job that we're looking for. What we're looking for is something a lot more simple than what you want to do. So the God says to them, I don't understand you. I know that as well as you know that. I also know what people need. I know what your shul needs. That's why I applied for the job. I'm very happy to come and do exactly what you're asking me to do. I'm going to give you the shurim. I'm going to sit at the front and answer all of the questions you've got. And even if those questions are not coming from the other end of the world, and they're not some very, very deep, complicated question, just the simple question that you ask, I'm going to answer them. And I'm happy to give you the shurim that you need. And I'm happy to service you the way you need to be serviced. So, okay. They had these discussions. They come back to the shul. They have a vote. And guess what? He gets through the vote. And a couple of weeks later, he arrives in the shul. And he comes in. And it's very, very exciting. And everybody's talking about the gorn. The vilna gorn's come to the shul. And he's become the rob of our shul. Everyone's very, very touched and very excited about it. He walks in. And uh, on the first day, he gives the very first she. So the share he gives a shear on a gomorrah. they're learning through a, a meahta together, and the Rav, the gon, gets up and gives his shear. Now you can imagine the share had such clarity, it had such beauty. There was not much depth because that wasn't the shear that was supposed to be given. It was just a very clear, simple shear. But people sat there and they were so amazed and so taken by the share. They were so excited about the share that he had said because it was so beautifully given that they're all just sitting there stunned. And it comes to the end of the share and there's one particular person sitting there and he's so excited. He's about to jump up and run over to the gone and say to him, thank you so much. That was an absolutely amazing share you just gave. But just as he's about to jump out of his seat, he suddenly thinks to himself, one second. One second. For me to go to the god and say thank you so much for the shi you just gave, it's a chutzpah. It's a real slap in the face. Do you know who the gaun is? And he starts thinking about what he's read about the gaun over the years. We know that when the gaun was six years old, his father sat him down and taught him a terah, which he got up in the main base of Medrash in Vilna, and he said it over to the whole shul, to all the Tavid and that were there, and they all listened. And at the end of it, they said, okay, that was quite amazing. It was quite impressive. Six-year-old gets over it, gets up and says this complicated piece, but it's his father's piece, it's not his. So they went and they asked him a few questions on it. And he said, give me a few minutes. He went into a side room and then came out again and gave a whole new piece that was his own piece to answer all of those questions. By the time he was nine years old, he realized that it's not good enough for him to learn Nigla, to learn Gomorrah. He needs to learn Kabbalah as well. And at nine years old, he started learning the Eitzchayim of Darizal. And in six months, he'd finished the whole Eitzchayim of Darizal. This is all things that his children wrote in the Hakdomot to the Vilna gon's Parish on Shulchan Aruch. He went on, by the time he was bar mitzvah, he'd already started making a, a golem. He'd made his own golem. Halfway through, he got a message from Hashem that he should stop making the golem. So he didn't make the golem in the end. But this is the Vilna Gaon. The Vilna Gaon is much, much bigger than that simple sheh, that simple straightforward, although it was amazingly clear, the share that he gave. So to go over the shir, to the Gaon and say, thank you, thank you for the share that you've given, would be a real chutzvah. But on the other hand, not to go over to the gon and thank him, not to go over to the gon and say, I appreciated that share. thank you so much for the share." is also a chutzpah. Because the gon made that decision. He decided that he wanted to be the, the, the Rob of the shul. He decided that he wanted to give those assurance to you. He decided that he wanted to bring himself down to that level and service the people in that way. And therefore, for for this person not to go over to him is also a chutzpah. Let's imagine the committee sit down one day and they say, "Okay, you know, we'd love to have another share in Shul. There's a spare slot, and if the if the Rov could give a alochah share, just a simple, straightforward." Detailed halacha share, then, then that would be amazing. And again, they want to go over to him and ask him if he could give that cheer. But on the other hand, they think to themselves, what a chutzpah for us to ask him to do that. He's got such, he's got much better things to do this time. He could sit for that, those extra few minutes and he could write another safer. He could write some very deep sugar it over to the other end of the world. He could have everybody phoning him and asking him these big, Khoshiva questions, things which are need the Vilna Ga'an to ask us, answer those questions. And we're now going to go and ask him to come and just give us his very simple shir. We can't do it. But for them not to go over to the Ghana and ask them that, that would also be a chutzpah. How can they not go and ask him to give that shir when he's the one who said he wants to give those shirin? So this is the thing they're going to be caught in and they don't quite know. Should they go over to the Ga'an and ask him for more? Should they thank him? Oh, is that a chutzpah? I remember once being at a, a vault in Yisrael, and I walked in there and I saw Psychoshlevsky there. Now, psikoshlevski is a tremendous sammakachem, and he's written some tremendous story on, on, on Gemara, on the, the shurim that he's, that he's given, which have been put together. But I had seen that there was a time in the shiva where he felt that he needed to be mechazek the davening, and therefore every time before he started giving shir, he had given a few minutes of, a few minutes on tvila. So at the beginning of the Shay, he spent five minutes and he went through a bit on Twitter. Now, I didn't, hadn't seen anything. I never learned in his, his yeshiva and I hadn't seen any of his other svarim. I knew that he was a big kamat All I had seen was that little pamphlet of the, these little directory that he had said, which one of the bacham had written up and printed up. And I had really, really enjoyed this pamphlet. So I went over to him during this Vot, and I said, thank you so much for this pamphlet that was printed. I got so much from it. And he gave me this look, and I felt like such a fool. He gave me this look like, wow, that's what you're thanking me for? You're thanking me for that little pamphlet? Do you know I made that stuff as I was walking up to the top? He didn't actually say this to me, but just as I'm walking up to the shtender, that's when I made that type of, uh, those type of divary These divary are not the type of thing I've worked hard on. That's not called thanking me. You want to make me feel good with thanking me? You can tell me that you worked hard going through one of my shikuch something that I worked hard on creating. That's who I really am. You can't thank me for something so small. Now, what are we going to do with the Vilna gone? Are we going to thank him or are we not going to thank him? And the answer really is that we have to thank him. We have to thank him. We have to ask him for more because that's what he wants. But when we thank him and when we ask him for more, we immediately have to remember that the person that we're talking to, the Koyach, the power that we're talking to, is really something which is so, so much bigger than anything that we could ever imagine. So at the very same time, as we're thanking the God for what he's given us, we also have to remember that this God is really so much bigger and he's so much greater and he has so much more to him than the little, little window that we're able to see, that we're able to appreciate. Now, we know that Rebbein Shem created our world at the same time, we know that the Rebbein him is much, much bigger than the tiny bit of appreciation that we see, the tiny window that we're able to see what the range is doing for us. And we say, wow, the Rebbein is so amazing because he made this apple. Wow, he's so amazing because he's running my life. Wow, he's so amazing for everything he's doing. But the truth is, he's so much bigger than that. The truth is, he's much bigger than anything which we can ever begin to appreciate, which a human mind can begin to appreciate. Someone told me I used to, when I was in school, I used to lane in in Notting Hill. We used to go for a walk after evening, um Davened early, and then we'd go off to Notting Hill, and we'd lane there and then walk back. So one of my friends had gone once, and on the way he got lost. He didn't know the way, so he went over to this big hefty guy and he said to him, "Tell me how do I get to Notting Hill?" So he said, "Oh, it's simple. You go down the end of this road, you turn left, you go down a few steps, you take the tube a few of the stops, and you go to the, and then you'll be at Notting Hill." So he said to him, I'm sorry, it's my Sabbath today, and I don't take the tube. And he said, he looked at him with pitying eyes, and he said to him, oh, your God's way too big to care about whether you go on a tube on your Sabbath or not. And he has a point. The Rabbi Shem is way too big to care about all the little things we do, but he does. He does. He created this world. And as much as we understand that what we call a yesh me'ayin is the biggest miracle that Shem ever does. Yesh me'ayin. If there was nothing in front of us and then suddenly something turns up, that's the biggest ness that Rabbi Shem ever does on this world. But the Mahabim tells us that there's a bigger ness than that. And that's what he calls... Ayin, Miesh, when Rabbi was is so big and Rebbe Shemi is so much bigger than anything we can understand and he's mitzantza mitzoh, he limits himself right, right down to doing that little thing for us. When he goes and he limits himself so much that he looks after our little lives and when this little thing happens in my life, well that little thing happens in my life and it's all coming directly from him when he's going and he's looking after me, that, so that if, if someone falls down and grazes his foot, and that was who did it again. And when somebody wakes up in the morning with a headache, and that's Zerubayin who's done it again. And when something works out well for us, and again, it's Zerubayin who's done it, because every little thing that happens in this world, it's Zerubayin doing it for us, and doing it for us personally. And when we appreciate that, we realize that that's something so much bigger than anything that we can really appreciate. But at the same time, we realize the Rehenshaim is prepared to do that for us. And that's what gives us such a chizuk. We have to dive into the Rehenshaim because he wants us to dive into the Rehenshaim. But at the same time, we realize that it's too big. It doesn't make sense that he cares so much about we, what we do. There is a misdemeanor to which seems to say what we're saying. The misdemeanor Sharim says, empiric, empiric your test. He says like this, Oh no initial bowel tegel no one who has common sense he says the ma'at us with a bit of thought the sima and um and uh, concentration. He says, He can put in his heart the truth of this matter. When a person's davening, he's directly talking to the Rebbein Shalailah. In front of him, he's he's begging. From him, he's asking. But who Yisvarach Shemay Hashem Himself is Maazin Loim Makshiv Ledvarav. He's listening to Him and He's listening really closely. Ka Ashe Yidabe Ishor just like a person who speaks to his friend Makshiv And his friend is listening closely to the words that He's saying. When we talk to the Rebbeim, when we dive and the Rebbeim, is listening to us. That may, might not make any sense, but that's what's happening. And when we open a siddha and we see that we can talk to the Rebbein Shayim and we can talk to him in second person, then that gives us that tremendous chizuk. And the reason why we can talk to the Rebbein Shayim in second person is because he allows us to, even if that doesn't make sense, if we're speaking to a Rav, we'll talk in third person, but we're speaking to the Rebbein Shuleylam, we can talk in second person, because that's how close he allows us to be, the Getad Rav, or past Getzer of Rabbi Zimban, once told me that when he was a bocher, he went to um, he went to Netanya for a Shabbos. He stayed in Netanya for a Shabbos, took a Shabbos off. And he said, once they were there, they realized that just nearby them, Ribshach had also come to Netanya to have a Shabbos off. So they went into Repshach during Shabbos, and they asked him if they could sit down with him and talk to him for a few minutes. And he said Repshach was very relaxed, and they started schmoozing a bit. And Repshach told them a bit of his life history. So he said that before his Bar Mitzvah, he had traveled over to... Yeshiva, he went to Sabotka, to the Yeshiva Kitana in Sabotka. And when he walked into the Yeshiva, it was just just at the beginning of the First World War, and the whole Yeshiva had left the Yeshiva, they'd left the building, and he walked into this empty building. And here we have a 12-year-old who walks into an empty building. There's no one there to look after him. There's no one there to help him. There's no such thing as turning around and going back home, and there's no such thing as phoning home and crying to mommy. There was nothing he could do. He's stuck there in this building. And he said he sat down and he learned, and he said during the next year, he learned 200 times, Bobakama, and he said there were some women who lived in the town and they looked after him, they gave him a bit of food, and they'd wash his clothes. He spoke about how he was freezing cold and his his shirts, whilst they, were, whilst they had to be washed and they were too wet to be warm, he would dance around and to try and keep himself a little bit warm just to keep his blood flowing. And then he turned around to them and he told them, do you think I found it easy? do you think I found it easy? He said it wasn't easy at all. I was extremely lonely, and I found it really hard. And he said the one thing that held me through that time was I would go over to the shelf, and I would take a Siddur and I'd open up the Siddur and I'd see the words, Baruch, Ator Hashem, that I can talk directly to Hashem. I can say to the brainstem, second person, blessed are you, Hashem. I can have that sort of connection, and that's what gave me the chizuk. It gave me the ability to continue. So that's what we do when we dive into the Rebbein Shem. We, we thank Him. We go and we, we praise Him. We go and we ask Him for more. We tell Him how amazing the things He's done. And we ask Him to continue giving us more. But this obviously gives us this major danger zone. That we shouldn't start thinking that the Rebbein Shem is only as big as we understand Him. We shouldn't start thinking that the Rebbein Shem is just limited to what we can see. We have to remember the Rebbein Shem is much, much bigger. And as the message of himself continues on the next, very next line over there, he says, After you've clarified this in your mind, that when you're talking to the is he's listening to you, You have to think about how great the Rebbein Shem is. He's much greater than any praise we could ever give him. On anything that our minds could begin to even imagine being true. So at the same time as we talk second person to the Rebbeim, we have to remember that the Rebbeim is much much bigger than anything we can understand, and that's why every time we say in any bracha the words Baruch Ata Hashem, and Baruch Ata Hashem either means to praise Hashem or it means to ask for more. We're asking the Rebbeim to send down more. So whether it's a praise or it's a request, as soon as we say those words, there's alarm bells that must go off in our minds. We're so lucky to be able to talk to Hashem, second person, but then just remember that He's really much bigger than that. And therefore, every single time we say the words, Hashem, we immediately slip into third person. Not because we can't talk second person to Hashem. We can talk second person to Hashem. But once we say the words, Baruch Hashem, there's a danger zone. Don't think that that's all Hashem is. And then we go into third person for one sentence. We go and we talk third person just for one sentence to remind ourselves that really Hashem is much, much bigger. And then we're going to go back into second person. So if you take any normal bracha, Baruch ato Hashem, afterwards we'll say, She'akol ni'yeh bid'varoi. If we say, Baruch ato Hashem, which is asking for more, praising Hashem, then we'll say, Hashem kadu yishamu b'mitzuesa v'tzivano. But if you take, for example, Shem'e Esra, so we say, Baruch ato Hashem, and then we go into third person, talk about, Zorich hachastei oves, maybe goyle v'nei Nehem, LeMan Shemoi baahavo But then once we've done that, we can say, ato kibo we can go back to second person. Atah choynein is second person. Hashiveinu ovinu l'tzeriasecha is second person. But then once we say the words, Boruch atah Hashem, so then reifei we have to go into the third person. Once we say, Boruch atah Hashem, we have to say, Mechabetz nitchei Amo yisro In benching, the first bracha is Boruch atah Hashem. It opens up with the words, Boruch. So therefore we have to continue in Hazon in and we have to talk in third person. But then once you get into the second bracha, you can speak in, th- in second person because there's no problem speaking to Hashem in second person. The third bracha, again, there's no problem speaking in second person. But once you get into the fourth bracha, you start again with the words, Hashem." you start with, Hashem." you have to go into third person just to remind yourself that the Rebbein Hashem is way bigger than anything we can imagine. And therefore we go across and say, who hated? In Kiddush. So we'll say, But once we've said one alike, one sentence with the third person, we can then go across again to second person. We can talk in second person. And what we're seeing over here is the ability that we have to talk second person to the Rabbi Shem. The Rabbi Shem has no problem with us talking to him. He wants us to talk to him. And he wants us to talk to, him, to, talk to a friend. We want us to talk, just like we speak, just like we talk to our friend. and We don't talk in third person to a friend of ours. The Rebbein doesn't want us to talk in third person to him. He wants us to talk second person. He wants us to share our problems with him. He wants us to share our lives with him because he wants to be part of that. He wants to give the Hashkoch protis Protest to every single one, and he allows us to speak second person. After that, we just have to remind ourselves the Boruch Atah. We have to remind ourselves that, yes, Hashem really is much, much bigger. And that's the only time I we'll go into third, third person just to remind ourselves about that. Like we said, why we're going through what we're going through now, none of us know. But what we do know is that the wants us to doven. He wants us to daven. He wants us to talk to Him. He wants us to connect to Him. He wants us to build our connection to Him. And I think if we can remember that, and before we do, start davening, or even start saying a bracha, we just realize, wow, baruch at Hashem. If Rav didn't feel lonely out there in Sabotka all by himself at the age of 12, then we don't feel lonely when we're here and we can say the words baruch atah Hashem. We can connect to the Rebbe Hashem with that. And this that, Hashem, we should all be too. or for we should we shall be zeiha to seeing an end to these difficult times. We shall all be zeiha to Mashiach Sitkenu. Thank you very much.